Hey there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriate Culture. On today's episode, we talk all things forgiveness, how we are to forgive, the conditions of forgiveness, and even the harm of forgiveness. Oh boy. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be very sorry today as we appropriate some culture. So lately, we've naturally been dealing a lot with broader cultural issues, analyzing recent events through a Christian lens in order to understand what is happening in our culture in order to better combat it. But combating it and appropriating the culture is only possible if the church stands firm. We need health and strength in our churches. Our churches can certainly be influenced by the culture and hallowed out by the culture, particularly when culture is meshed with a biblical misunderstanding. And one of the biggest misunderstandings I think is forgiveness. I saw a story on NBC News about a lady in Arkansas who forgave the killer of her own mother. She wrote to the killer in prison, visited him, befriended him, and when the killer was released from prison, she even gave him a job. That's amazing, right? We love stories like that as Christians, just unbelievable forgiveness, repentance, restoration. Well, in the end, the killer murders the daughter too. She forgave this man, visits him in prison, advocates for him, gives him a job out of prison, and gets stabbed to death by him. Forgiveness is heartwarming until it becomes heart-stopping. Now, I'm not condemning this lady's actions. I don't know the details, but I think it's illustrative of a problem, which is there's a natural Christian allure to forgiveness. We want to forgive. We want to be gracious. Isn't that what we're called to? We want restoration and redemption. But forgiveness, when unmoored and unprincipled, will turn around and kill you and your church. And the problem of that, I think, stems from a biblical misunderstanding of forgiveness. So let's look at what the Bible says about forgiveness. Here's a good place to start. Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's a clear biblical principle that we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. God is our model when it comes to forgiveness. So how does God forgive us? Isaiah, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Micah, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In Hebrews, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isaiah Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalms. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So what we see there repeatedly and clearly is that God doesn't hold a grudge. When he forgives, he forgives completely. He doesn't lord it over us, doesn't hold it over us, blots it out forever. He forgives and it's done. 
It's completely and totally absolved. And that is how we are called to forgive. There's also not a limit on how many times we can be forgiven. Jesus makes that clear in the instructions to us on how we ought to forgive. Luke chapter 17. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Because that's exactly how God forgives us. It says in 1 John, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, but notice that that is a conditional statement. If we confess, he is faithful and just. If your brother sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. The biblical model of forgiveness is total, complete forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness, if there's repentance. God is our model, and God does not forgive all sins. That's why there's hell. The people in hell are not forgiven. Their sins are not forgiven. Their sins are punished. For your sins to be forgiven, you must come to faith in Christ. And coming to faith in Christ necessitates repentance. It is turning away from sin to Christ. The only way you would ever come to Jesus to save you from your sin is if you first recognize that you're a sinner in need of saving. And so we do see in Scripture that when people come to Jesus in faith, he often says, your sins are forgiven. And that demonstrates for us two things. One, that Jesus is God, because as the teachers of the law rightly point out, God alone has the power to forgive sins. And two, our sins are forgiven when we place our faith in Jesus. That's the means of our forgiveness. But God still does not forgive all sins. Now, maybe you could argue that God doesn't need to forgive all sins, but we do because we're the ones who were also forgiven. But that's not really the statement from Scripture. Speaking to the disciples, Jesus says this, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, various denominations and schools of theological thought have debated what that means exactly, but it seems pretty clear that there's an expectation that some sins are going to be forgiven and some sins are not. And it's really consistent with the model that Jesus lays out for us in regards to church discipline. He says this, Matthew, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's the model that Jesus gives us for church discipline. A brother is sinning confront him about it. And what are they looking for in that confrontation? They're looking for repentance. They're looking for contrition. If there's no repentance, it continues on to the next step of church discipline. And eventually, if there's still no repentance, they're booted from the church. And we see an example of that in scripture as well, 1 Corinthians. 
It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Paul is not forgiving this man of his sins. He's telling them to kick this man out of the church. And why? Because his sin is so wicked and gross? No, because he says, hand this man over to Satan so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. He can still be saved. Paul hopes that he will be saved. The problem is not the kind of sin. The problem is not the severity of the sin. The problem is he is unrepentant of his sin. This is the last stage of that church discipline that Jesus outlines. So what we see in scripture is that repentance is a necessary condition for forgiveness. God sends unrepentant sinners to hell, and he tells us to kick out unrepentant sinners from our church. The pattern that we see in scripture is repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness. Now there is one possible counterexample, and that's when Jesus is on the cross. It says in Luke, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That's an amazing statement. They're not asking for forgiveness. They're not coming to him in repentance. They are crucifying him. And Jesus prays that they might be forgiven. That's an amazing statement. And it's one that we should absolutely emulate. But that's a statement of God's heart, not a statement of the reality. It's like what Peter says of God in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But that doesn't mean that everyone will come to repentance. In fact, Scripture is very clear that they won't. Jesus on the cross is expressing the heart of God. He wants them to be forgiven. But that doesn't mean they will be. Some of them in the crowd probably were forgiven. Some of them probably weren't. And we should take on the same mindset of Christ, wanting everyone to come to repentance, wanting everyone to receive forgiveness, not holding on to grudges, not being bitter in our souls or hating in anger, but lovingly desiring the best for them. And the best for people is often repentance and contrition. And the reason why this matters is because offering forgiveness without repentance leads to ungodliness. The culture pushes us toward more and more depravity. But if the church responds to that with unconditional forgiveness, then pretty soon the depravity just takes over the church. Why wouldn't it? There's no resistance. So increasingly, the church takes on the customs of the culture with no rebuke, you know, Couples shack up together before marriage, and it's, eh, what are you going to do? That's just the way the world is these days. And hey, we're just really about forgiveness and grace. But there is no forgiveness without repentance. 
And grace does not come at the expense of holiness. Habitual, unrepentant sin is a poison of the church. And it may sound nice to offer unmoored and unprincipled forgiveness, but it's not so nice when it stabs someone to death. All right, we'll stop there. As usual, if you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, share, review, follow me on my author's Facebook page, join the movement to be a part of our feature film, and I'll see you next week for more Appropriate in the Culture. (laughs) 